Well, hello again to all of my friends out there on the internet. My name is Charlie. I pastor First Methodist Amarillo Campus. I'm so excited that you're a part of our conversation today. Now, before we get into the sermon, I wanted to quickly stir up a little bit of controversy. As we all know, Halloween has come and gone and we're moving into our next season. My controversial question is, which season are we moving into? Or do you believe we're moving into the season of Thanksgiving? Or do you think we're moving into the season of Christmas? So I would love to see us argue and debate this in the comments. So I encourage you, if you're team Thanksgiving, to post that in the comments. If you're team Christmas, post team Christmas in the comments. I will go ahead and give you full disclosure. If you do post team Christmas, you're wrong, okay? It's the Thanksgiving season. It's obviously the next holiday, but uh, you're welcome to try to make your case and to convince me that I'm wrong. So hopefully you'll post, hopefully you'll defend your case and uh, we'll have a great conversation and get to the bottom of the question, which season are we moving into, Thanksgiving or Christmas? So with that out of the way, I wanted to start with our text today. I want to encourage you when you tune in and you're, you're participating in our online campus to bring your Bible with you. Have it right there in front of you so that you can turn to the text and look at it for yourself. It's important for us as followers of Christ to be able to use this tool, to be able to navigate in this, this book and find the, the truths that we're looking for. So today we're going to be in the Gospel of Luke in chapter 12. So I encourage you to turn there. This is Luke chapter 12. Verses 13 through 15. And this is what it says. Teacher, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. But he said to him, friend, who set me to be a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, take care, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Again, welcome to week two of our sermon series that we're calling Streets of Gold. If you have not listened to week one of the series, I want to encourage you to go back and do so. It's available on our website, firstmethodist.church, or you can find it through our social media. Uh, it's important because last week's sermon really lays the foundation for what this entire series will be built on. Last week, we talked about how God approaches possessions. We listen to the description of this new holy city when the new heaven and the new earth are created. And, and we even saw examples of the gold and the precious jewels that will adorn that city. And I, I want us to listen again to the description of that holy city. So go ahead and turn to Revelation chapter 21. We're going to start in verse 18. The wall was made of jasper. And the city was pure gold, as clear as glass. The wall of the city was built on foundation stones inlaid with 12 precious stones. The first was jasper, the second sapphire, the third agate, the fourth emerald, the fifth onyx, the sixth carnelian, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth chrysoprase, the eleventh jacinth, the twelfth amethyst. The twelve gates were made of pearls, each gate from a single pearl, and the main street was pure gold, as clear as glass. We discussed in last week's sermon how in the midst of the city's description, I discovered a revelation. The revelation was what we hoard or attempted to covet, God uses as construction material. For God, gold is synonymous with asphalt. Not, not because God doesn't 
see the value in gold, but because God understands its true value as a tool. We said last week that money is meant to transport you, not transform you. Transport you, not transform you. What is meant to transform us, what's meant to change us, is God's generosity. God has been overwhelmingly generous with us. 2 Corinthians 9.8 says that God is able to provide you with every blessing in abundance. So that, and that so that should be in all caps, so that by always having enough of everything, you may share abundantly in every good work. We ended last week's sermon by asking the question, what is determining how I live and give? Is it my money, my possessions, or is it God's generosity? I hope you will continue to pray through that question as we walk through this series. Now, today's scripture is an interesting one, particularly because of the context. I encourage you to turn with me to Luke chapter 12 so you can better see what what I'm talking about. I want to take a quick moment and teach you a little bit of inductive Bible study method. Look with me at Luke chapter 12, verse 1. What is the first word that you see there? In my Bible, it says, meanwhile, in the meantime, under these circumstances. What this tells us is that we are reading in chapter 12 What we're reading there is a part of some event that was already taking place in chapter 11. So let's, let's go and see what those circumstances might be. If you turn back to Luke chapter 11, you're going to find in verse 37 that Jesus had been invited to have lunch with a Pharisee. Now the Pharisee, as they, they go to lunch, he is surprised to see Jesus sit down to eat without ceremonially washing. Jesus responds to this in verse 39 by saying, then the Lord said to him, now you Pharisees, they clean the outside of the cup and of the dish, but the inside you are full of greed and wickedness. Ouch. In other words, he's telling the Pharisee that they're good at looking good on the outside They're good, they're really great at keeping up appearances, but on the inside, on the inside, aspects of their character go unredeemed. Well, naturally, this offends a Pharisee, but it also offends a lawyer or a scribe who also happened to be at that lunch meeting, to which Jesus replies to him in verse 46, and he said, Woe also to you, experts in the law, for you load people with burdens hard to bear, and you yourselves do not lift a finger to ease them. Jesus has several other things to say, but closes with this statement in verse 52. Woe to you experts in the law, for you have taken away the key of knowledge, and you do not enter yourselves, and you hinder those who were entering. Well, the conversation continues to get heated, because verse 53 and 54 tell us that essentially they take it outside. And the scribes and the Pharisees, they start aggressively questioning Jesus. This leads to chapter 12, where we are told a large crowd begins to form. I mean, can you, can you hear? Listen, can you hear the junior high boys chanting, fight, 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 fight? It, that's, that's what essentially is going on here. And in this moment, 
this, this crowd of what the Bible says could be thousands gathered together and Jesus turns this crowd into an audience. For Jesus, this is a divine opportunity to declare warnings and to teach godly, kingdom-oriented truths. He begins to teach the crowd. He begins to teach them to beware of the yeast of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. He warns those gathered not to fear the one who can kill the body, but to fear the one who after death has the authority to cast into hell. He affirms the value of each person in the crowd by reminding them that God even knows the number of hairs on their head. Then Jesus encourages the group by declaring that anyone who declares faith in him before men, Jesus will acknowledge them before the angels of God. He even offers in this moment a promise that the faithful should not worry when they're brought before the authorities and asked to give a testimony of their faith. Because at that time, Jesus says the Holy Spirit will empower them with the words to speak. And, the, and imagine this. Imagine in the midst of all of these care-filled warnings, godly truths, and, and these encouraging promises. Uh, we hear in verse 13, as, as, as the conversation is crescendoing, we hear someone from the crowd yell, talk about money. Can you imagine the crowd's confusion? Maybe even possibly their frustration in the midst of all of this powerful teaching, in the midst of all of this confrontation with the oppressive Pharisees, with, the, with all this, these life-giving promises. Someone from the crowd interrupts to say, teacher, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. While Jesus was teaching on heavenly things, this gentleman was burdened with worry about worldly things. He was worried about earthly inheritance rather than heavenly investments. Jesus responds first with a warning in verse 14. He says, but he said to him, friend, who set me to be judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, take care, be on guard against all kinds of greed for one's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. In, in other words, richness is more than wealth. That's what Jesus is saying. Richness is more than wealth. Then in a typical Jesus fashion, he takes the gentleman's question and transforms it into a lesson illustrated by a parable or a story. Now, in my opinion, Jesus often told parables because he understood that a story an example illustrated through a life has more power and more influence, more, more staying power than simply declaring a static and dry rule like, hey, everybody, don't be greedy. So let's listen now to the parable that Jesus tells in response to this man's interruption and his question. Verse 16 says this, then he told them a parable. The land of a rich man produced abundantly. And he thought to himself, what should I do? For I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, 
be married. But God said to him, you fool. This very night, your life is being demanded of you and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So it is with those who store up treasures for themselves but are not rich towards God. See, Jesus is proclaiming something extremely countercultural in this moment. It would have been countercultural when it was first proclaimed, and it's even countercultural now in, in our day and our time. In this moment, Jesus lifts up an example, a lifestyle that, that most of us, even today, are tempted to pursue, tempted to envy. If I could just, it, maybe you've said this or you've heard other people say this, if I could just make enough money to sit back and relax. If, if only I could hit the lottery, not even the big lottery, just, just enough money where I would not have to work anymore. If I had enough money, all my problems would go away. And if I had enough money, I could say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. Jesus holds up this lifestyle and he says to those who pursue it, you are fools. Why? Was it because Jesus thought money is bad? I think clearly the answer is no. 1 Timothy 6.10 tells us that money in and of itself is not a bad thing, but it's the love of money, the emotional attachment to money that is the root of all evil. Or is it because God doesn't want us to save money? God doesn't want us to have a savings account? Absolutely not. Throughout scripture, we are told to live as wise stewards. Even John Wesley, the founder of the Methodist movement, would often say and often encourage his, the people involved in his movement to earn all you can, give all you can, and save all you can. Then why does Jesus in this moment proclaim that this man acted foolishly in response to the abundance his crop produced. In my mind, there are at least two reasons. First, this man was foolish because he turned a blessing into an idol. He turned a blessing into an idol. In our previous sermon series, Messy Life Together, where we explored the book of 1 Corinthians, we read in chapter 3, verse 7, so neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. This is both a spiritual and a practical truth. So the reality is that God generously blessed this man with an abundant harvest. But rather than allowing God's generosity and God's blessing to inspire him to be generous, the man turned that blessing into an idol. The man said to himself, now, now that I have all this wealth, I no longer have anything to worry about. My possessions are going to protect me. My harvest will ensure I have long life. What I've stored up for myself in my brand new barns will provide for my every need. This man's faith was no longer in the Lord. He now believed that his idol, his money, could provide, protect, and ensure his every need was met. Jesus looks at that and says, you fool. Richness is more than money. Richness is more than wealth. In verse 21, it says this, so it is with those 
who store up treasures for themselves, but are not rich toward God. The man in the parable places security, his eternal security, in temporary possessions, rather than trusting in God's ability to provide. Jesus explains this this truth immediately after his parable. If you go down to, to verse 22, it says that Jesus said to his disciples, therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you'll eat, or about your body, what you will wear. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens, Jesus said, says. They, they neither sow nor reap, they never store, they never neither have storehouses or barns, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than birds? And which of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to your lifespan? Verse 25, and which of you by worrying can add a single hour to your lifespan? If you are not able to do so small a thing as this, why do you worry about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they, how they consider the lilies, how they grow, how they ne- neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not clothed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into his oven, How much more, how much more will he clothe you, you of little faith? And do not keep seeking what you are to eat, what you are to drink, and and do not keep worrying, for it is the nations of the world that seek all these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. God's generous blessings should inspire, they should inspire praise and further dependence on God. They should not inspire idol worship. Richness is more than wealth. The second reason I believe God lifts up this parable as an example of foolishness is how God's blessings impacted this man. Rather than God's generosity making him rich towards God, They made him selfish, selfish for himself. The man allowed God's blessings to make him greedy. It says at the beginning of the parable that the man was already rich. His life was already marked by abundance. And yet this blessing was used to cultivate greed in his heart rather than cultivate richness towards God. James 1.27 tells us religion or, or worship that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans, to look after widows in their distress, and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. This man was blessed, and therefore he could have been a blessing. This rich man had the opportunity to be rich towards God by using what God had given him in worship, a form of worship that, that, that provided through feeding the sick, by by providing medicine for the ill, by supporting those striving to proclaim God's truth. He could have done that. He could have received a blessing and then transformed it into a blessing for those in need, transformed it into a form of worship. Today, as many of you know, is All Saints Day, a day that we remember the saints who have passed into eternity over the, over the last 12 months. But it's also a day when we are reminded 
death is a part of all of our future. So today I encourage you to examine your life. Does your life reflect a desire to be rich in this life? Does it reflect a, an obedience to the idol of possessions? Or, or maybe I should ask, have your possessions possessed you? Has your money become an idol for which you depend on for your safety, your security, and your provision? Or are you generously sharing the blessings that God generously gave you? Now, last week we talked about our generosity response card. And I want to take a moment to talk about those again. As a church, we, we use those generosity response cards to, to determine what financial support will be available for the church to use in the next year. We build our budget off the commitments reflected in those cards. I want to invite you. you you're a part of our online campus. I want to invite you to consider how you might respond to God's generosity, how you might be generous because God has been generous. So if you, if you are interested in, in responding to God's generosity, making a commitment to, to give because of what God has given you, on our website, we're going to have a link where you can submit your generosity response card online. We'll have a link uh, in the comments. We'll have a, a way that you can get to that on our, on our website. But I don't want you to submit that immediately. I want you to pray about it. Because again, Jesus talks about that God loves a cheerful giver. Not anybody giving out of unction or giving out of pressure. I want you to pray about, I want you to really consider all that God has given you first, all that God has provided for you first. And then decide, how are you going to be generous in response to that? With that, let me pray for us and we'll end today's conversation. Father in heaven, I thank you for all my friends online. I thank you, Father, that we can have conversations despite being limited by distance or by time. Uh, you have given us generously this gift called the internet and, the, and just video and all of those things are a blessing that you gave us. Please walk with my friends. Please guide them. Please remind them of all the ways you've gifted and blessed them. And I pray that they too would respond to your generosity by worshiping you, worshiping you by generously transforming their blessings into blessings to others. Walk with them, make your presence known to them this day and every day. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen. God bless you. Have a great week.